You know, last Sunday, being Resurrection Sunday, of course, we always talk about the resurrection of Jesus. But I talked about the fact that in order to really understand the crucifixion and then the resurrection or the death of Jesus and his being raised from the dead, to understand all that, to make sense of it, first we really need to understand the mission of Jesus, why he really came. And if I could this morning, I just want to back up to that just for a couple of minutes because last, sun, last Monday morning after Easter Sunday was over, God really dropped something in my heart that I want to share with you today, and I think it's God's message for the hour for our church. But, you know, Jesus defined his mission from Scripture. Before he began his ministry, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He picked up the book of the law, began to read from what we call Isaiah, and he read these words, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because, he said, there's a purpose God's put his spirit upon me for a purpose. And he wanted to say, here's my mission. Here's what God has sent me to do. And he basically broke it into four things. He said, I've come for the poor. Those who are at the bottom rung of society that nobody else cares about, I'm here for you. He said, I've come for those who are captive, those who are prisoners of war, those who are casualties of war. He said, I've come for you. He also said, I've come for the blind, those who can't find their way, those who see no way out and don't know where to go and how to go. He said, I've come for you. And then finally, he said, those who are oppressed, those who are beaten down, those who've been crushed and bruised by the difficulties of life and decisions of life. He said, I've come for you. And really, he summed up his ministry in Luke 19, 10. He said, I've come to seek and to save those that are lost. Bottom line is, Jesus came for all of us. We people, we were his mission. We are his mission, and we need to understand that. And you know, if you really want to understand the mission of Jesus and why he came, you look at people in his ministry. You look at stories like Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. He came for those people. You look at the woman who was taken in the act of adultery. He came for her. You look at a guy like Zacchaeus, a businessman who was a little bit shady. He came and changed his life. You look at a man who was bound by thousands of demons. This man was liberated by Jesus. They called him Legion. Jesus came for that man. Common everyday people like the fishermen that Jesus hung out with. Jesus came for all of us. His mission was people. Lost, hurting, confused people. If I could just remind you today, Jesus came for all of us because we've all been there. But with that in mind, I want you to look at Matthew 28. I want to share three pretty simple thoughts today and, and share some information with it. But I want to begin in Matthew 28. It's what we would call the Great Commission. If you've got any kind of study Bible at all, right there above this passage, it'll say somewhere up there, the Great Commission. Bible scripture itself doesn't call it the Great Commission, but that's what Bible scholars call it. So let's read together Matthew 28, verse 19. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. It'll be on the screen here. Jesus said, go therefore. Say that with me. Go therefore. Go. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. 
And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, Jesus gives this commission to the disciples, this commandment to the disciples. Go to all the world and preach the gospel, share the good news. Now, I'm going to get to more of this in just a moment, but I want you to notice something interesting about this verse. The second part of this commission, he says, teaching them to observe, so on and so forth. I am with you. At the end of the verse, he says, amen, which basically means so be it. It's almost as if Jesus said, here, here is your mission. Uh, well, go, get after it. Get it done. It's interesting as you read the Gospels and the book of Acts, it talks about this commission of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John didn't write about it, but uh, Luke wrote about it in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. It's interesting, there are two main focuses that the writers have. The first is go to all the world, preach, teach, make disciples. The other two accounts talk about the power of God. The Holy Spirit is coming upon us to enable us to do ministry as Jesus did it. And here's what Mark said in Mark 16. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink any dead, anything that's deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now here's what I want you to notice today. Here's the first thought I'm going to share with you. When Jesus ascended back to the Father, he left his mission to us. Let that sink in for a moment. When Jesus ascended back to the Father, these are his last instructions. Go to the world and take the message. Continue my ministry. Jesus left his mission to you and me. He left it to his people. Notice this. The same power that empowered Jesus would rest upon us. The same kinds of things he did, we would do. Jesus even said, the works that I do, you shall do also, and greater works than these shall you do. Because I'm going to my Father to send my Spirit upon you. So Jesus left his mission to us. So what is our mission? Our mission is to finish what Jesus started. Continue the same kind of ministry. Here it is. Go to all the world. Proclaim the good news about Jesus. Make disciples. Baptize believers. Heal the sick. Deliver the captives. That's our mission. And, and there's a couple of things I want you to notice about our mission. First of all, we, everybody say we, we have been given this mission to go to all the world. The words of Jesus are go. Go. To be a disciple of Jesus doesn't mean to sit. It means to get up and to do something. It's rise up from where you've been sitting and go make disciples. Go. Go. It's an action word. Collectively, we collectively have been given the mission to go to all the world. So, what do we do? Well, we develop church systems and programs to fulfill this mission and God asks all of us to find our place in the body of Christ, in the church, to fulfill God's mission. So collectively, we've been asked to take the message of Jesus to the world. Let, let me illustrate this to you. I was so 
proud of our church last Sunday. To run three services and to add a different service and the first two services be totally different service times. None of the services were jam-packed, but every service was comfortably filled. We, we, we hit our goal. We accommodated a lot of people. Don't need to talk about how many. It doesn't even matter right now. We know how many, but it was a lot of people for us. But the cool thing was, and I hope everybody gets this, at the end of the day, we had 70 or 75 people come get these booklets and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. I love it. That's why we do this. That's why we do this. And here's the thing. To my heroes out in the parking lots doing parking ministry, to the greeters at the door, to the people at the coffee shop helping take the money and serve the coffee, to our ushers who help take the offering and help people find their seats, to the worship team. I mean, the worship team, they were here from early, early in the morning until the last thing was finished, and it was an awesome day. They did a great job. To the community care group, to those who ministered to our kids, every area of ministry of our church, there were faithful people here. And people say, well, why do they do that? I'll tell you why they do it. Because someday when we get to heaven, how many people are planning on going to heaven? Okay. You know, the rest of you need to think this thing through before you leave today, okay? There's only two options. The other place isn't that great. You just you really think this thing through. To those of us who are going to heaven, when we get there, God is going to pass out the rewards. And I'm going to tell you something. Do you know who gets credit for the 70 to 75 people who were saved last Sunday? It's everybody who was serving who had a part in the day. Everybody. Not just the guy up front. Everybody who has a part in the mission. We share in the reward of the mission. But, but here's the thing. We collectively have been given his mission to go to the world. And if we do not embrace this mission as a church, if we don't embrace this mission, we miss the mission of the church. If we don't embrace it, we miss the very purpose why God has called us together. But then here's the second part of this. Not only do we collectively have a mission, we individually have been given pieces of the mission. We each have a part in the mission. It's not for one, for two, for three. This church is not about me and my wife, my family, my staff. It's not about that. This church is about the people because a church is people. This church is about us coming together and using our gifts collectively and doing our part, each one of us, to reach our community and then find ways to reach out to the entire world. We collectively have a mission, but individually we have pieces of the mission. And if I miss my piece of the mission, I miss my purpose in life. Let that sink in a minute. If I miss my piece of the mission within the church, I miss my purpose in life. Interesting. So many of us ask the question, well, how do I do this? Go? How? See, I think when Jesus told the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel, when he left and ascended, they not only stood there watching him leave in, in amazement, but I think they also looked at each other and said, how are we going to do this? That question is still being asked today. How do I fit in this? How do I do this? So number two, let, let's talk about this. Go. 
Jesus said, go. Who, me? Yeah, you. How do I go? How can I help fulfill this mission? Three things that I think are vitally important for every believer to do to really grasp your mission. The very first thing is we need to be willing to take ownership of the mission. You know, ownership is a, is a word that's used a lot today in society in a lot of different ways. You need to own this. You need to take ownership of it. We need to take ownership of the mission God's given the church. So here's what it means. God's mission is now my mission. How many of you believe God has a mission in the earth? I know some of you are saying, I don't want to raise my hand because you can want me to do something else. I'm not asking for sign-ups today for anything. If you understand God has a mission for the church, then you also need to understand that God has a mission for you. And you need to take ownership of the mission. His mission is now my mission. It's amazing how many people in churches across America, maybe even around the world, but especially in America, it's amazing how many people don't understand the mission is ours. Once you take ownership of it, everything begins to change. The way you see the church, the way you see God, the way you see people. Everything begins to change. It's no longer about religion. It's no longer about one person or another person. It's about a great big picture. Once we take ownership of the mission and say, God's mission is my mission, and I'm going to see to it that my part is done. It changes everything. We need to take ownership of the mission. Number two... The second thing that needs to happen is we need to have a head for the mission. We need to think like we have a mission. Now, let me see if I can explain this to you. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Luke records in the book of Acts Jesus' last words, here's how he records it. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They were there at Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's how the mission is accomplished. It starts at home. It begins to spread to neighborhoods. It goes to other areas. And then it goes to the entire earth. That was the plan of Jesus. But here's the thing. If you don't understand what Jesus was saying there, you may very well have an un healthy perspective of the mission you need to have a head for the mission so let me explain it to you here and i hope everybody will open their heart and receive this our mission field has many places many faces each place and each face is unique it's a big job it's a big 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 mission the world is a big place with billions of people but that's our mission field and here's where a healthy perspective begins i cannot do all of it by myself therefore i'm not going to take responsibility for all of it several years ago when i was a young minister starting out in ministry. There was a well-known minister who was very famous, very prominent. He was on television. He was doing crusades all over the world. I mean, he was the most, probably the most famous preacher in the world at the time. He went through some real problems and got into some personal issues and it really damaged his ministry and had a great effect on what he was doing and it really stopped to a great extent what he'd been doing. 
And one day, a, 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 an acquaintance of mine had a chance to talk with him because he had been a good friend for a long time. And he sat down and talked to him and said, what happened? How did you get off track? What happened to you? And this famous minister looked at my friend and said, the truth is, I didn't have anybody to talk to. He said, I was so big. My missions budget was so huge. I had millions of dollars flowing through my ministry. I was going to this nation and that nation. I was on TV here and TV there. And it was just go, 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 because I thought I had to save the whole world. And I was so big, I had nobody to talk to. Now listen to me. It's what they call a Messiah complex. When you think you're the savior of everything and you've got to do it all by yourself. Let me put your mind at ease today. You are not responsible to do the whole mission by yourself. You need to have a healthy perspective. You need to have a head for the mission. A healthy perspective says, it's not all my responsibility. Therefore, I'm not going to take responsibility for everything. But then the third part of this is we also need to have a heart for the mission. And here's what I want to we dwell for a couple of minutes. We really need to take ownership of the mission. We need to have a head and an understanding of the mission. But third of all, I need to have a heart for the mission. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus had been doing some ministry and we're going to throw the verse up on the screen jesus said to his followers he said to them the harvest truly is great but the laborers are few now leave the screen up there but i want to talk to you about the first part of that verse the harvest is overwhelming you think about the world and the millions of people did you know there are tribes and peoples in this world who've never heard about Jesus? There are people groups, not very many left, but there are still people groups who've never heard the message of Jesus. And when you start thinking about how do we reach them, how do we get to their language, how do we write a Bible in their language, how do we do this, how do we, it's overwhelming. Jesus said the harvest is great, the problem is the laborers are few. What Jesus was saying was there are a lot of people who never get a head for the harvest, never get a heart for the harvest, and never really apply themselves and take ownership. But notice what he says next. Therefore, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers into his harvest. I'm convinced there are a lot of people in this room today. You're hearing this message, you're thinking, man, this is this is a big deal. This is not really about me. He must be talking to somebody else. It's, no, I'm talking to everybody in this room. This is our harvest. This is our mission. But here's the thing. If we are overwhelmed with the greatness of the mission and we don't know where to pour ourselves in and we don't know where to get involved and how to get involved and what God wants us to do, if we're one of those people saying, go, how? What's my part? How do I do this thing? Number one, start praying. Start praying for the harvest. Start praying that God will send laborers into the harvest. That's the instructions of Jesus. Throw that verse up there one more time for me. I want to show it to you. Jesus said, here's what you do. Second line. Therefore, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into his harvest. And here's what happens. When you begin to pray for the harvest, 
God will begin to show you how you can begin to answer that prayer and he'll show you what your piece of the harvest is. You're not responsible for all of it. But God will drop into your heart what he wants you to be responsible for. I have a responsibility to seek God, to find my place and then fulfill my calling. See, some of you are sitting here today and you're like me. When I was a kid, I was about probably nine years of age. There was a missionary who came to our church and, you know, we had a decent sized church and this missionary was going to the Congo in Africa. And I remember in those days, Congo was in turmoil. There was civil war going on. There was, I mean, it was a disastrous place. It's, it's been a disaster ever since, really, all kinds of wars. But this missionary went to the Congo, and I heard him talking about going to Congo, going to Congo. Didn't think much about it. I was a little kid. Didn't mean anything to me. A year or two later, our pastor got up on a Sunday morning, tears running down his face, and he said, our missionary to the Congo has been killed. He got caught in the revolution, in the civil war. He's been killed. Well, there was a great ending to the story because a whole group of people came to Jesus because of his life. And I don't have time to tell the rest of the story. But here's the point. At about nine or ten years of age, I had my mind made up. I ain't going to the Congo. <laughs> How many here feel like God has not called me to the Congo? That's how I felt. The problem was, spiritually, it bottled me up. Because I said, I'm not going to the Congo. I am not going to the Congo. So here became my prayer as a little kid. Lord, I'll do anything I want you to do, but I'm just so grateful you've not called me to preach because I don't want to go to the Congo. Because of that, it kept me from praying the right kind of prayer. And I was 19 years of age. It was nine years later before I ever worked through that and got to a place where I understood God's not going to put me someplace where he doesn't need me and where he won't empower me to finish what I, he started through me. Took me a lot of years to sort that out. But we get overwhelmed with this. Me? Go? How? I can't do all of this. Friend, God hasn't called you to do all of it. But God has called you to do a piece of it. It may be your family. It may be your neighbor. Or it may be your neighborhood. It might be certain people that you know, certain people you work with, certain people you run into in, in different areas of life. But we all have a mission field. And we need to have a head for it, a heart for it, and we need to take ownership of it. I'll tell you a, a, a story. Sad, but it, it's a little bit funny. When I first went into the ministry, I, I traveled for a few years, and then I started pastoring, and I was in a different state. And there was a large university nearby. And there was a man in our church who at that time was probably late 30s, maybe early 40s, probably early 40s. Uh, he was teaching electrical engineering at the university. And he was one of these guys, I mean, he was so smart. He was just brilliant in so many ways. But he was a little bit awkward with people because I don't know what his background was, but there wasn't much small talk with him. He didn't say much, but when he said something, it was straight to the point. There was no joking, no kidding, and it may slice like a knife, but whatever was in his mind when it was time to speak, he would just say it. And he, he was really a nice guy, but you, it was hard to know where he was coming from sometimes. Well, he had some friends in our church, and this family of friends, husband and wife, had kids. This lady, 
best way I know to explain her is she was hell on wheels. I mean, she was one of the most hateful, nasty, mean people I've ever met in my life. She was mean. And she was involved in a couple of areas of the church. And when I became the pastor, the, the pastor before me warned me and said, you got to watch her, stays close to her because she will rip you to shreds if you don't. Well, that, that was a great blessing for a 31-year-old pastor, you know, trying to figure things out. Well, anyway, one night we had a leadership meeting, and this woman shows up at the leadership meeting. And it's a small group of leaders, and her friend, this professor, was there. And she walked into the meeting. She says, I have a complaint against our pastor. And so the leader said, well, what, what's, what's the problem? She said, this pastor's been here almost a year, and not one time has he gone to my family and witnessed to them about Jesus. My family's lost, and they don't know Jesus, and he's not even trying to win them. This professor, who never said anything at the meeting, stopped and looked at her, called her by name, and said, you know what? You insult my intelligence. If Jesus hasn't done enough in your life to tell your family that you have changed and they need Jesus, the pastor's not the problem, you're the problem. That's your mission field. Now, I know, you know, when, when she made this accusation, I'm like this, you know. When he said that, I'm like, yeah, give it to her, you know. Here's the point. A lot of people pass their mission off to somebody else and then they get mad that their mission's not being accomplished. Pray for the harvest. God will show you your mission field and then God will empower you to reach out to your mission field. We each have a purpose, a place, and a function in God's plan. It may be Jerusalem, which is our hometown. It may be Judea, surrounding communities. It may be Samaria, the place where nobody wants to go. It may be Tijuana. It may be Mexico City. It may be Thailand. It may be the Congo in Africa. But God has a calling for each of our lives. We need to wrap our heart around it and go where God has asked us to go. That's his plan for our lives. The scripture calls us the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. I can't take responsibility for all of it, but I must take responsibility for my part of it. So let me encourage you today. Find what God wants you to take responsibility for and take it. And then the third thought, final thought. What about the uttermost parts of the earth? What about those nations? What about those nations? Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the earth. Go, go, go. Like I said earlier, a lot of us are not called by God to go to those places. But let me give you some thoughts here. First of all, God will call some of us. If God calls you to go to the nations, you need to go. And let me just give you a word of encouragement. If it's God's will, it's God's bill. He will make a way. He will. He will. And here's the deal. If God calls you to a nation or to the nations overseas, if God calls you somewhere else and you don't go, you will always carry an emptiness inside knowing you've not done what God wants you to do. If God's calling you, you must 
go. Here's the other part of this. If God's not called you there, you don't need to go. As a matter of fact, if God's not called you there and you go there in your own might and your own power, you're probably not going to have a lot of success and you're going to come home really feeling bad about things. So we need to know where God has called us, where he's not called us, and go where his calling leads. Several years ago when Zach just got out of high school, he went to this missions organization and he did a discipleship class with this missions organization. Spent several months living on their base and doing some traveling within the states. And then at the end of their discipleship training, they took them on a missions trip. And it just so happened that Zach's trip, it would have been just right around year 2000, Zach's trip went to China. And Zach and his friends had an assignment. Their assignment was to smuggle Bibles in China. Now, I don't want to get into the conundrum of both sides of that because I have my opinions about it, but we'll set that aside, okay? But here's the point. This 18, 19-year-old kid with a handful of friends about the same age are going with their suitcases and backpacks across the border into China, unloading their Bibles, going back out of the country, taking in another load of Bibles day after day after day. And one day they stopped them at the border. They took them into the side rooms. They interrogated them for a long period of time. And you can imagine being that far from home how worrisome that moment was for him. Finally, the tour was over. He got to come home. I sat down with him one day. I said, Zach, what did you learn from your experience in China? He looked at me straight face and said, I learned that I don't want to be a missionary. <laughs> That's okay. If God's not called you there, you don't need to go. Can I, can I tell you a really interesting story? Ten years old, I am not going to the Congo. 2001, actually 2002, I preached in Goma in the Congo. One of the joys of my life. I didn't have to go. I met a man from the Congo and I said, I want to come preach for you because I want to do something that I said I would never do. I got to preach in the Congo. But here's the point. If you're called to go, you got to go. You got to go. You got to go. But the second part of that is, collectively, the world is our mission field. So, if I'm not called to go, I need to help others go. If we're not called to go individually, collectively, we must find ways to help others who are called to go. Just because God's not asked me to go does not release me from the collective mission of his church. And I think there's another part of this. God's doing something right now in our church among our young people. I'm excited about it. God's stirring their hearts. Moms, dads, if God is calling your child to ministry, you need to help them fulfill that calling. 
The world needs good leaders for Jesus. If God's calling your child, don't hesitate. Don't hold them back. Find a way to release them. I'll tell you two different stories. A few years ago, I had someone tell me a story about in the church where they were, there was a young lady who was stirred by God and she just, just out of high school and she wasn't passionate about college and she just went to her parents and said, God's stirring my heart. I feel like God's called me into ministry, maybe even missions, but God's called me to ministry and I, and I want to go to Bible school. And I want to get ready to answer that call. Her Christian parents looked at her and said, no, no, we're not going to help you do that. No, we're not going to do that. Because if it doesn't work out, you're not going to have an education. You're not going to have a foundation for your life. Your life will be a mess if you do that and it doesn't work out. You have got to go to college. You go to college, you get an education. Then someday down the road, if you really want to do that, you can figure out how to do it. But right now, we are not going to help you go. The sad thing is, they told me the rest of the story. That young lady began to go in circles. Got into a wrong relationship, got married, and is now living a life that's going nowhere, doing nothing, wasting her life because she missed a calling because mom and dad said, no, you can't go. Mom and dad, please hear me. If God's calling your kid, find a way to send him. If he's not, don't send him. But if he is, send him. And then the second story. My dad and I were best friends until he passed 11 years ago. Growing up, my dad didn't go to church much. My mom made sure I was there every Sunday, every Tuesday night, every Friday night, every Sunday, the next Sunday, all day from early morning till late night. I mean, I was in church always. I was there more than the preacher. But <laughs> my dad always supported my mom and said, yeah, you're going to church like your mom said. My dad was a, he believed in God. He was a moral man. He was a good man. He was a good businessman. But some things happened when he was young. He got hurt in a church situation and just didn't really have a use for the church. My dad finally got saved and really committed his life to the Lord when I was about 20 years of age. But one day, my dad came to me. You know, I, I graduated high school. I went off to college for a while, and I just knew this is not it. I was pursuing music and some other things and had some opportunities opening up. And I was working for my dad part-time and doing music on the rest of my time. And one day at, at, at the place where my dad owned, he owned a, a gas station. He was a mechanic. He worked in the back, and we ran the, the front of the gas station. He came to me one day. He said, hey, Kay, here's, here's the deal. I want to make you a partner in this business. You won't get rich, but you'll make a good living. I'll teach you everything I know about cars. And he was a good mechanic. I'll teach you everything I know. I'll turn this business over to you. You can grow it, do all you want to do. When I retire, it'll be yours. You and I will be 50-50 partners. We'll make a lot more money. We'll both enjoy life. It'll be great. But you've got to work six days a week like me. You've got to work 12 hours a day like me. You've got to work just as hard as I do to make the money that I make. What do you think? And I said, I don't want to do it. He said, why not? I said, well, Dad, I feel like God's called me to preach. And my dad stood there for a second and thought about it, looked at me and said, then you need to get out of here and go get it done. You know, 
Well, what happens if my kid wastes three or four years of life and doesn't work out? He'll come back and live with you. He's going to do that anyway. That's what's happening today, you know? Don't worry about it. They stay till they're 30 anyway, so don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. In closing today, I'm sorry I didn't mean to throw, damp, throw a wet blanket on things, but <laughs> in, in closing, three things. Number one, we need to take ownership of the Great Commission. It's not a great suggestion, it's a great commission, it's a commandment. Take ownership. Number two, get ahead for the harvest. You don't need to take it all on, just take on what God wants you to take. Number three, get a heart for the harvest. Get along with God. Begin to pray for the harvest. God will show you where you belong. No person in this church is less important than the pastor of the church. Our callings are different. Our giftings are different. Right now on Sunday morning for 45 minutes, I might be, for this period of time, I might be really important. But you know what? As the big picture plays out, every person in their place is just as important as the guy who's preaching Sunday morning. Because I'm going to tell you something. People get tired of hearing this. And they want me to brag on their areas. But i got to be honest with you. We get more compliments from people about the guys in the parking lot than anybody else. Because people pull in here not sure what they're going to run into. And there's a guy out there smiling, waving, helping them find the place. They're not giving the normal, you know, one finger at a time salute you get from people in parking lots. None of that stuff's going on. They're smiling. They're pointing them into the church, helping them get inside. I'm going to tell you something. Before people get in these doors, they've been disarmed because people who love God are in place doing a simple chore. And their reward in heaven is going to be just as great as any else's reward and we need to understand that ministry sometimes it's just a word sometimes it's just a word of encouragement sometimes it's just an act of helping somebody they don't expect it Ministry isn't just what happens up here. Ministry is what happens day after day after day, people interacting with people. It's following a prompting of the Holy Spirit and, and sharing with somebody, sharing your story, sharing your testimony, stopping to pray with somebody. You know, I'm not a real forward guy that sticks my nose into people's business. I'm, I'm I'm pretty backward with that kind of stuff. There are times in my life when I just feel prompted and I've walked up to people and said, hey, I, I know you're going through some stuff. Can I just pray with you? People don't even know me. I'm going to tell you something. In all the years I've been walking with God, I've never had a person turn me down when I said, can I just pray for you? I don't have the answers, but I know somebody that does. Can I just pray for you today? Ministry comes in all kinds of ways. Parking lot, greeters, coffee shop worship team, I mean, children's ministry, youth ministry, on and on it goes, neighborhood ministry, small groups. Ministry comes in all different ways. But we all need to be in our place so we can be fulfilled and accomplish God's mission. I want to pray for you today. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I want to pray for everybody here to find their place. Father, today I ask that you would do what we've talked about, what you put in my heart for this day, 
We would take ownership of the Great Commission and say, okay, it's mine. It's mine. I got to do my part. Number two, I pray that I would not be overwhelmed, but I would have a good perspective and realize you're only going to call me to do what I can do and what you will empower me to do. And third of all, Father, I pray today every person in this room have a heart for the harvest, heart for the mission, and you'd begin to show them where they fit and how significant their role is. God, the body is not complete unless all the pieces are in place. Direct us and give us the will and the desire to follow through and get where you need us to be, to go to make disciples. In Christ's name I pray. Heads are still bowed for just another minute or two. Maybe you're here today, and maybe you're not in relationship with God. Maybe you've never asked God into your heart. Maybe you said, well, I don't want religion. I'll tell you, you're in a church today that doesn't want to give you religion. But we do want to introduce you to a God who created you, who loves you, who put his own son on a cross to remove all the obstacles that separated you from him. And he wants to make you a part of his family today. As you've sat here today and you've listened to this message, the very first part hit home to you. Maybe you're broken. Maybe you're searching. Maybe you're trying to find the way to go. Maybe you're hurting. Don't you know God loves you? He loves you more than you'll ever understand in a thousand lifetimes. Loves you so much, he paid the price to bring you into his family, but he can't draw you in without your permission because he's given you your own will. Maybe as you've said here today, something's tugging at your heart and you're realizing God does love me. Yes, he does. And he wants you to be a part of his family. And all he asks is for your invitation to say, God, I need you to come into my life. We do that with words. You can call it prayer, but it's just words. It's talking to God. I want to lead you in a prayer, and I'm going to ask everybody in the room to pray this prayer with me one line at a time. Just repeat the prayer. There's nothing special about my words. They're not the right words. It's not, you have to pray it just this way. It's just simple words that you can wrap your heart around, open the door for God to begin to work in your life. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to ask everybody here, pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I need you. And I open my heart to you. Please come into my life. I accept Jesus as my Savior. I choose Jesus to become the Lord of my life. So I give my life to you. Wash away my failure and my sin and adopt me into your family. I want to know you. From this moment forward, you will be my father and I will be your child. I will learn your ways and I will follow you. I will know you all the days of my life and in the life to come, You'll be my Savior. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.